that he actually had sex with my mother. And then to top it all off, he decided it would be a good thing to build a cottage next door to where my mom and dad live. I mean, you can't make this up. I mean, I mean, really. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 21, where today I am talking to Donna. Hi, Donna. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I've I've spoken with you for probably a few hours now over yeah. the last couple months, and yeah. I really enjoy I was- you. <laughs> Same here. Um, Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, it's just a great opportunity to, you know, share stories and help to heal within, you know, the community of the MPEs, I guess. Yeah. And we've already shared quite a bit. Um, We had some sound issues. And so thank you for being patient and being willing to try this again. No, Um, my pleasure. We both do have a bit of a potty mouth, so I'll throw it out there now in case it happens to come up. Uh, this yeah. may may or may not be an explicit episode. Uh, yeah, it's a, it, you know what you've read it is it is explicit, but uh, I will try to keep it clean. Um, you know, the story does itself have a lot of you know uh, affairs and whatnot in it. So I would just like to tell my story, and uh, you know. Yeah. It'll come across okay. <laughs> Just be you. Don't censor okay. yourself. We've, I yeah. think, as NPEs, we've all been through enough. So just be right. you. Let us know about your original family and what your childhood was like. Okay. Well, I just want to start off and say, you know, I was uh, extremely close to my mother throughout our lives together. Um, I'm 66 now. Uh, she, uh, growing up, through her life, you know, she really thought of me as her buddy. She depended on me for many things, and uh, she was able to keep me close by despite the dysfunctional family dynamics. Uh, my mom passed away in 2011, and I found out the secret in 2018, which was, you know, a full seven years after her death. And, you know, I'd like to start to say, you know, my story is as much about my mother's decision to have a child in this way, but to all the people who were in her realm that, you know, chose to allow this moralistic status quo and, you know, the double standard rules in, in society. Um, I was born in Toronto, Canada in 1953. I uh, was the youngest of three children. Uh, my dad, my birth certificate father, Ross, uh, was born in 1922, and he was the middle of three sons. Uh, the oldest brother, Sidney, was killed in World War II. Uh, and um, so he and his brother, Robert, his younger brother, were raised in a prominent family, the Watsons. And my grandfather had been in the apple farming business for at least three generations. 
And he became quite wealthy for that time into the 60s until his death in 1965, my grandfather. Um, he left his estate to my dad, Ross, and uh, my dad's brother, Bob, who was a lawyer with his own law firm. And uh, by this time, he and dad, with some other business partners, had founded a private golf and country club outside of Toronto. And this business was very successful, and along with a beautiful summer cottage on Lake Muskoka, north of Toronto, and a Florida home, our upbringing was wealthy, fun, and adventurous. Uh, think of the movie Caddyshack, and that about sums up the type of culture I was raised around in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> uh, my mom, Leon, everyone called her Lee, was a beautiful, vivacious, and funny woman. She married my dad in 1945 at 20 years old. He was 23. And she was way too young to do this. But after sitting in a hospital at 18 with TB and not getting along with her own mother, as she recounted, the only way for a woman to get out of the house is to get married. And so she married my dad and uh, went out to live on the farm uh, west of Toronto. Uh, but when that farm sold, uh, my dad took over the operations of the golf club and my mother stayed home and we lived in a lovely house for, you know, they were there for over 30 years and it was an ideal Aussie and Harriet life. Everything shiny and clean, you know, from a child's perspective and I was happy and well looked after, but underneath the glossy veneer uh, of our upper middle class life, my mom was not really content. Uh, you know, I look through it uh, in the past and, you know, she had early losses, uh, particularly she had lost uh, a younger brother when she was very small. Her brother was three years old and died of cancer. And uh, her mom, my grandma, uh, really never recovered from it. And, uh, you know, this was kind of the story through her life of, you know, the loss and, you know, she really didn't get along you know, with her mom. And, you know, even when my mom was into her 80s, uh, she rarely showed emotion. But, you know, she really was always affected. She, you know, she would always tell us these words that her mother had said, oh, if one of them was taken, it should have been you. And so, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, through the generations what happens. But, you know, we, you know, we just thought just what a terrible thing to do. But, she kind of, you know, was that was always her story. And, you know, she would say as an only child that she was faced with her own version of the emotional neglect and distance by her mother. So, you know, it just kind of was starting to come through, you know, as it turns out into her family. And by the time I was born in 1953, her relationship was strained with her mom and they became estranged actually for the rest of their lives. And yes, uh, my grandparents lived a block away from us and nobody tried to fix anything. It was just swept under the carpet and no questions asked. But, you know, as a little kid at five or six years old, I always asked questions. You know, I, you know, I remember saying, you know, why can't I see grandma? 
and she would say, oh, she says terrible things about me. Or, you know, why am I the only one in the family with red hair? Or why are there no pictures of me? Oh, I was just too worn out with the third one, you know. So our family had very few pictures and very few family group shots. Um, and, you know, I always just thought, oh, my parents aren't into photos. But, you know, my father had many photo albums and, you know, as did my mother's parents. And as I got older, uh, you know, I was able to start to get a radar about my mom and was feeling, even at eight or nine years old, uh, feeling her sadness. But, you know, I couldn't name these feelings, you know, being that young. And, uh, you know, as, as a child, though, my experience was really a type of, I guess, a sense of abandonment, you know, through, you know, child psychology and whatnot and thinking it through. Um, you know, I had a subliminal knowledge, if you will, that, you know, things in the world, they were much more important to her than, you know, I was. And you know, really not worthy of attention. So at this young age, I really began to feel, you know, and un unconsciously that there was something wrong with me. And, you know, by then I was all already being labeled and judged by my teachers, my brother and sister and others as being too loud, too talkative, too hyper, you know, too different than anyone in my family. And, uh, you know, there started the early rejection of me by my brother and sister. Uh, my nickname was actually the bad one, you know, quote unquote, you know, a joke. Oh. So, of course, it followed that I worked very hard to get my needs met, you know, as, as a young kid. It, you know, the type of uh, demanding contact, knocking on my mother's bedroom door. She napped every afternoon and... Uh, you know, just trying to keep a connection to a woman. She, you know, was uh, used Valium and sleeping pills. And, you know, there was a lot of inner pain, I think, there. Uh, you know, as I said, my father ran a successful golf club. Uh, we had a beautiful house, everything in its place, homemade meals. But I, as a child, could see her behavior at home. It was quiet, sad. Her doctors prescribing uh, from the 60s, as the Rolling Stones song aptly described, uh, mother's little helper pills. But, you know, voila, when it came time to get dressed and put her makeup on and put her best foot forward, she would then become the life of the party. So along with my, you know, I don't know, sensitive awareness as a child surrounding this home atmosphere, uh, I, I was a typical younger kid, uh, you know, I would act out, not listening, uh, you know, daydreaming, uh, being mouthy, talking back, you know, etc. But it was really my need was, you know, to gain her approval and attention. And, you know, again, there were many good times and my father did his best to work hard and provide a material security. But uh, I think the underlying issues with my parents and my mother's anxiety and depression, I really think it made it difficult for me to construct uh, in myself a, a sense of security. And, you know, I think the emotional climate, you know, with all its materialism, it was still unpredictable. It was confusing. And, you know... I, I really honestly think a lot of 
the formation of my brain circuits were influenced by my mother's emotional states and her interactions with me and my siblings and father. But also at play, as we're getting into this story, was the big difference in my look, my body type, temperament to my brother and sister. I always felt I was different, and they felt it too. But my mom used these very apparent differences between me and my two siblings, Phil and Lori, by always telling me that my sister was jealous of me because I was thinner and she had a weight problem, or she would say, oh, you've got the best hair, you got the best teeth, etc. You know, it, it was kind of funny, because at the time, there was this TV show called The Smothers Brothers, and their shtick was always, mom loved you best. Now, we all know that this, this is part of the dynamics in every family between siblings, you know, about favorites. However, mm-hmm. with my mom, there was obviously a more sinister reasoning behind her division of us kids to keep us at arm's length and instill early types of hostility between me and my older brother and sister. My mother wanted your loyalty and definitely had to have the final word or you would get the silent treatment or she would just as easily just remove, remove you from her list of friends. And uh, so when I was 13 years old, there was a milestone event that I would say uh, that stayed with me my entire life until the reason why it happened all those years ago was revealed to me by the Ancestry DNA test I took in 2018. And so that night, when I was very young, It was in 1966. There was a terrible incident at our summer cottage. My parents had been playing bridge and drinking, as was usual, with close family friends. In fact, these family friends were so close, I called them aunt and uncle. And they lived close by at home in the city, and our cottages were very close on the point. And they were Bruce and Sue. And they had two daughters, Judy and Barb. And I was the youngest of all the kids of both these families. There was like five kids in total. My family, you know, three, I was the youngest. And Bruce and Sue, they had the two daughters. And these summers, they were spent uh, intimately together between both cottages. My mom, Lee, and Aunt Sue watched us kids all week. Well, you know, the fathers were working in the city. Uh, it, it was super fun, you know, swimming, skiing, boating. I was very attached to Judy and Barb, these two girls that I grew up with, and being with them all, all the time through the summer months. And uh, so this was just another evening up there. It was 13 years worth all my life. But on that night, my Uncle Bruce returned home from our cottage. And as the story goes, his old aunt had been visiting up there at their place. And she was upset when he arrived, saying that I had been rude to her when I was there. And I had apparently told her to go to bed if she didn't feel well. Now, apparently over the years, it was known that Uncle Bruce had a bad temper. And he got really angry, stormed back to our cottage, yelling, no kid's going to talk 
to my aunt like that. It, it was awful. My dad started flailing on me, slapping me on my face as I'm lying on the floor. My brother and sister laughing over me. What did you do now, Donna? And, you know, following that night, we never saw or spoke to the family again. And so it seemed that they used me as a pawn all those years ago over the big secret that was being kept. And it was a traumatic memory for me all those years, thinking I was responsible for the breaking of this one close family connection. But my DNA ancestry test in 2018 showed that Bruce W. was my biological father. And I believe they knew all along. I mean... Uh, Judy, his eldest daughter, uh, she is now, and I guess, you know, through the ancestry test, finding out that this is my half-sister, um, she is now 71, um, and she had red hair, uh, like I did, and when I see, when I saw the pictures from the ancestry page, uh, that her daughter, she was the one that, that found me on ancestry, her daughter, his granddaughter set up, I look exactly like him. I, and I look at the few pics of me as a child, and there's no doubting who I look like. And especially having kids of my own, I know for sure that these four people had to have known all along. But for me, the, the shock of, of finding this out at 65 years old and grappling with all the emotions of this betrayal and, you know, a rejection and hurt and the lack of connection with any of anyone in my family beside my mom. This brought another huge blow to me emotionally and, and really the, the, that my mother that I had loved so dearly and literally, man, served her my whole fucking life could reveal this truth, couldn't reveal this truth to me. Even after my birth certificate, dad died. My dad, Ross, died in 1986, you know, 33 years ago. This, you know, without a doubt, in the last two years, I mean, this just showed me once and for all how mentally ill and sick she had been all her life. Um, but, you know, that that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, my story's more into into this era because I was so badly affected by the lifestyles that were around me growing up. And it just got more confusing over the years because this is, this was uh, uh, after that. Um, and she started another uh, 30 year affair with another close family friend, Dawn C. And our families, again, our families had grown up together in the same neighborhood. And apparently, you know, Dawn C's wife, Doreen, she blessed it. Five kids never spoke up. And my dad apparently could not or would not do anything to stop it. Uh, I guess in the 60s, divorce was a big no-no. Uh, but of course, you know, being sarcastic, these people were prominent community leaders. You know, ha, big <laughs> joke. Mm -hmm. And it would be too embarrassing, I guess. So I guess better to screw up all the kids and leave it live a great big fat lie um when i was 19 years old my mom attempted suicide with a bottle of sleeping pills her doctors also close family friends howard and betty v had prescribed to her and she'd gotten them for a trip to jamaica yes you know i truly believe today 
drugs, you know, doctors prescribing drugs are way more dangerous than the dealers on the streets was then still going on to this day. I happened to come home one night from college to do my laundry, calling through the house, mom, are you home, mom? And I continued up the stairs to the upper bedrooms and found her unconscious in the bed. I stopped at the doorway, absolutely terrified. I thought she was dead, and she almost was. And at that time, my father walked into the house, and I ran down crying, and he said, your mother's done a bad thing, and he called an ambulance. She was in ICU a couple of days. She refused any psychiatric help, had her stomach pumped, and sent home. No one spoke a word about it again. The only thing that changed was she was not prescribed sleeping pills anymore. No counseling, no truth, just more Xanax and Tranks for her anxiety. She continued continued to see Dawn, and I went along with it and spent time with him, even when my kids were growing up. They saw him also. Well, it seems that I was still the little girl wanting my mother's attention. And by God, she got it. I was so thoroughly brainwashed and manipulated by them that I, I really believe I became as sick as them. We would actually joke over the years with her and Dawn. Maybe I was his kid because I had red hair like him. Oh, no, we didn't know each other in 1953, they would say. Talk about gross, man. What kind of dream state was I in? I feel sick now thinking how fucked up it was to have supported their clandestine relationship. And again, everyone knew about it, but no one did anything. And Dawn and Lee were together well into their 80s until Dawn got Alzheimer's and his wife, Doreen, put him in a nursing home where he died in 2012 at 92 just three months after my mom died. Well, the illusion and bullshit even went into his obituary. Dawn and Doreen, best friends, married for 60 years. Is this what best friends do to each other? Same with Bruce W., my biological father and his wife. Beloved, best friends for over 50 years. Complete bullshit. And the next generation buying into it, I guess. Because what would the neighbors think? You know, they were prominent. They had to keep the delusion going. Well, you know, they were prominent people. Well, but they just, you know, had to lie and deceit their way through. And I've lost many, many nights of pain and sorrow. And this was certainly not my problem to have had to bear. I see it as, you know, hiding truths that have made NPE people, victims of their ignorance. And every single relationship in my family had conflict that ended in estrangement. My mother felt threatened in any way. She just cut the person out, including my sister for 15 years, my brother for five. And neither my brother or sister wanted anything to do with me because there I was by my mother's side. You know, we learned this at our mother's knee, the family dysfunction being experienced through Three generations. It went right through even into my kids. Um, All of of my siblings, my brother and sister and I, we were constantly embroiled in emotional hostilities regarding money, greed about who gets what. 
and our mother needing to gain a victory over her children and her own fears and pain from all her secrets that depressed her very own soul. And she was desperate to control of others. She was a classic narcissist. And as my brother said, only a few weeks before he died in 2011, uh, 63 of liver cancer, mom divided and conquered. We were always kept at arm's length. We were never all visiting together at the same time because as we got older, as we got older and had our own families, because she just couldn't handle all the people. It was too stressful. But, you know, she lived a lie all her life and she didn't really want people, I guess, uh, together comparing notes. Uh, my spouse, Warren, who got to know my mom in the 90s, she was the first person, he was the first person to say, I think your mom is quite vain. And I was still deluded even into my 40s, you know, still unaware of traits of narcissism developed by people with very low self-esteem. Uh, you know, she had no spiritual world. She had no inner foundation. The, the, her looks became her whole world. Her hair, skin, nails, surgeries, Botox, facial surgeries, looking perfect. It just was her only quest. Uh, right up to the day she took her last breath. And never did she have any insight or never acknowledge any wrongdoing. And she was void of, you know, really almost any compassion for anyone, including herself. This I feel so sorry for her. She didn't, she didn't care about not seeing my sister's two daughters or not seeing my brother's child for many years. She just said, oh, they're lost to me, or I can sleep at night. And my sister made her feel so guilty she couldn't even handle being around her. So in each one of my family members, I think all this psychic sludge and all the debris transmuted into physical illness. My dad died of heart disease in 1986 at 63. My brother died at 64 of liver cancer. My sisters carried her emotional baggage with weight issues for several years. And, you know, my reactive, high-strung, overly sensitive connection to the energy of people was, I no doubt, embedded by my earliest experience in this original home of family dysfunction. But, you know, in my case, these memories are not so much about something terrible happening, but about nothing happening when something might morally sane could have happened. So there was really no relationship over the years with my brother and sister. You know, he said to me before he died in 2011, he said, sorry, it didn't work out for us. And my sister and I would not speak for over 20 years and continues to this day. Uh, we have to be civil and we communicate only through email regarding the Watson Family Trust and the sale of the golf club two years ago. Uh, in 2010, my mom got sick and she was developing cognitive dementia at 85. Just a year before she died, my sister came back into my mother's life and became her primary caregiver. And uh, I was pushed to the curb and mom continued her games until the end. And this caused a lot of grief for me in 2011. Uh, I worked hard on my traumas, you know, trying to get around uh, healing from this, all this pain. And it was a long process to grieve. And, you know, I finally had to accept the final outcome 
but I worked very hard on my personal well-being and you know I felt finally healed of these heartaches and boom I took the DNA test for fun but the results as I said showed earlier when they were discovered I mean it brought me to the most unbearable pain I think I've ever experienced so now for my ancestry and finding out how I realized I was an MPE. So the test came in and I looked at the file. It showed mostly English and some Scottish and Irish, and this is what I expected. And even with Bruce W. being my father, he was the same waspy mix, so there wasn't really anything to wonder about. Uh, he was an only child, and um, uh, that's just, you know, there wasn't a, a lot of connections up there. I come from, you know, fairly small family. But when I looked on the Ancestry website, uh, you know, I saw mostly Southern England, my mom's mater maternal side, and then Scottish from my mom's father. Now, my birth certificate father, Ross, his family was from Northern England, but nothing was outlined on this Ancestry graph. Uh, but never seen this type of info. I really didn't question it. You know, I was just looking at the graphs and trying to see the website. Um, so, uh, you know, my mother was an only child. My dad, Ross, only had the one brother. So I only had three cousins, very small family. But when I clicked on the DNA connections, I was surprised. The first name, the first name came up right at the top, showing a pic of a younger woman named Barbara B as first cousin. And I, I looked down the list, you know, second, third, fourth, just, you know, and I saw some of my mother's maternal names, but I didn't see any of father's names. You know, my maiden name is Watson, Watson, Johnson, Mercer, Uncle B. I didn't see any of my birth certificate father's names. So I still didn't know anything, but I said to my spouse, I went up, I said, I don't understand this one connect here with this girl. I don't recognize the name. And I just went, oh, well, who knows? And I closed the website. And I just thought, okay, that's it. Woohoo. And that was in June 2018. I didn't go into it again. And I hadn't planned to. But for some strange urge, that October, I was sitting on the computer and I thought, oh, I'm just going to go in for a lark again. Well, it looked like Barbara B had been questioning my connection for several months as well. And in fact, she had sent the emails to me the very day I randomly went back into the website. That to me is really woohoo. Hmm. Uh, I did. And there were three messages there from Barbara B. The first message, hi, my name is Barbara and I see you have a close family connection and I would like to know what side of the family to put you on the second message was this is an awkward question but did your family cottage on Pine Needle Point she had seen my maiden name Watson and had had gone to her mom Judy and asked who's Donna Watson the third message said my mom is Judy W and my grandparents were Bruce and Sue W Okay, well, mm. this was the moment for me, like all NPEs, just discovering and realizing what was happening. It totally crumbled my soul and gave me a gut-wrenching feeling that I never 
and never, ever want to experience again. Nobody can understand unless they've gone through it. Your whole identity is crushed in one fell swoop. It, it, it started, I started to feel sick to my stomach. And then realizing that even though she had taken this to her mom and aunt, these two gals that I grew up with my whole childhood, we went to cab together. We went on trips together. We, we lived at each other. And they knew exactly who I was. They still let her email and give me this knowledge in this way. And so, all right, I emailed her back. I said, yes, my parents had a cottage. And in fact, my grandparents cottaged on Lake Muskoka as well. My grandfather had actually sold the cottage lot on the point to Bruce W. in 1957. Bruce and Sue had been friends with my grandfather and had been a guest at my grandparents' island cottage. So it seems, now this is where it gets really, you know, weird. It seems that he actually had sex with my mother, with my grandfather's son's wife, and then to top it all off, he decided it would be a good thing to build a cottage next door to where my mom and dad live. I mean, you can't make this shit up. I mean, I mean really. I, I, believe me, you get older, you, you, you think you know it all, and it, gets, it just gets weirder and weirder. They're all dead. They've been for many years, for 20 years. But Judy's daughter... You know, this Barbara B, my, my, would be my, my niece, who is curious. She opened up the Pandora's box mm. that apparently neither Judy, now 71, and her, her, the younger Barb, but closer in age to me, I think she's 69. So they, don't, they don't want to investigate, but we got on the phone the next night. You know, the 38-year-old the niece, she sent me her, her email. And the next night, she got together with her mom, and we got on the phone, and, and I taught, we talked for over an hour. And I have, of course, I had not seen Judy since that big fight in 1966 when I was 13 years old, and we never saw each other again. And it was really the first thing I asked Judy. I said, Judy, did you not think something was strange that... Our, and then all of a sudden, we never saw each other again. And sure enough, her voice started to go up. I could tell I was related. You know, she, her voice started to go up. She was like, well, I was 17. I, I was a narcissist. I didn't know. And so I was like, okay, uh, you know. Uh, but we were cordial and we reminisced about all those early years, our whole child, my whole childhood at the cottage. Things like, oh, we traded sisters. Remember this? Remember that? And at the time, I was literally going into shock, but I believe she was too. And Judy suggested a blood test, and her daughter was going to look into arranging it and got off the phone. And, you know, I said to early, I just fell to my knees and wept. It was like just too much, like, you know, considering, like I knew these people and everything. But as for these two, I guess you call them half-sisters, Judy and Barb, they don't want a connection with me. They never contacted me again. I sent her daughter, Barbara, you know, the one that sought me out on Ancestry. Um, mm -hmm. I sent her an email saying how shocked and, you know, giving her a little update on, you know, me. And I said, I'd like to meet her one day and give her a hug. And they live fairly close by. And I was really ready to go and see them immediately. 
I mean, I would have jumped in the car that nightly. That's what I'm like. I would have gone out, and, you know, it would have been like just, a, you know, have a great big cry and move on, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, something. But um, they, because they had been actually like sisters to me for years, but no, no contact. So, you know, another rejection, no compassion, nothing. And then my daughter did her DNA test on Ancestry, and it showed Judy's daughter being related to her as well. And she, my daughter sent her an email, but no response. So, you know, shame and fear just continuing its hold through the generation. And, of course, the opinion from the few friends I told was, well, maybe you're afraid you'll try to go for money or something. Or, you know, my yoga teacher said, well, Donna, people have only so much bandwidth to handle the information. And they just probably feel a lot of shame. Well, her daughter was the one that sought me out. And what's the, what's the problem now? Your dad's been dead for 20 years. You know, well, mm-hmm. that's just the point. They're still thinking their beloved dad their papa is a wonderful human being and let's not muddy the waters. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bruce W uh, died in 2000 at 86. Um, But you know, that's basically, that's it in a nutshell. (laughs) That that was how I found it out. Um, And uh, you know, it's, just kind of sad, you know, I, I was raised with very poor parental modeling. Um, you know, but I just, uh, I'm doing this hoping that these stories, you know, for now and in the future for people having to face this identity crisis that, you know, out of the struggle, there's something that may evolve, you know, something good, it could come out of this darkness and maybe help people to evolve to be more compassionate to others and understand without judgment so people don't have to lie and deceive and gaslight and betray and i can tell you for certain that if all these people were still alive they'd be denying 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 you know yes and um but i i just say you know the truth is empowering uh so late in my life to find this out but what it really did was clue me into all these issues and everything uh, about how our family, you know, just fell apart at the seams over the years. You know, you just can't live like that. You know, there's, there's reactions, you know. But, the, you know, these mothers and partners that went along for the ride, they all share responsibility. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I loved my mother dearly. We, we were just like two peas in a pod. We traveled. Everything's so close. But, you know, you know, people just cannot face these these issues in themselves. You know, they're 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 stunted, and and that's what makes me feel sad. Like when you get through the anger, you know. So, I'm just hoping that we can come into a more progressive kind and accepting society, because, you know, when people have a right to marriage, divorce, same sex relationship, you know, uh, and you you the fear of judgment is is huge with people and and you know it's society's silly puritan and hypocritical values that do it so you know um we just have to try to use this this revelation as a force for good uh i don't want to identify as an angry person or a betrayed person Uh, i i'm just trying to you know understand the need for forgiveness because this is very hard i've spent the last two years just 
it's just extremely bitter and angry. I mean, it, it's hard. You know, my, the, the, you know, my yoga teacher, she goes, well, are, are you sad? I'm like, no, angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning that in order to forgive, it is necessary to let go of the blame. And opening up, you have to allow the pain to be with you. You know, we want to push it away. And anger is a much easier, you know, emotion to deal with than pain because, you know, you feel justified in it. Yes. So, you know, I'm typically a happy, happy, go lucky. Yes, I developed it growing up. What else was I going to do? You know, but for me, um, this is just a, a, it, to to allow the pain and not push it away. And I'm now feeling it and I'm able to process it and and heal from these wounds and let it go so I just think as long as we avoid these feelings we remain trapped in ourselves and we're locked away from love for ourselves completely mm-hmm. and and others so you know I, I just hope that uh, you know people can be kinder despite the pushback and, you know, for, for people who have parents who are still alive and still gaslighting or still denial, I, I think it's just human nature. It's a protective mechanism, you know, so I have to be the better person. I don't want to be the better person because I feel like I was the one that was really betrayed. Mm-hmm. But in, in the long run, you know, you may never get the whole truth, but you have to find your own truth, you know. Donna, your honesty is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I'm thank you. so glad to be able to put this out there because, you know, for all of us, just releasing it, allowing it, you know, to, to let it leave the cells in your body because you see, you know, holding on to this for the people that do it to the people that have to receive this and, and know, you know, that the people you loved and trusted it it's it's really devastating but you know we're human and you know thank god we can heal and you know just try to find a better light you know bringing it into the light lily so thank you again for helping me and many others to bring it into the light if people would like to know more about you or get in touch with you how would they do that well my my email would be great are you okay with giving that out? Oh, absolutely. DJ Winterhawk at gmail.com. Thanks again to Donna for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE that would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.